Welcome back to Experience by Design Podcast, where we explore experience designs of all kinds. I'm your host for this week, Gary David. When we're dealing with a world where change seems to be so frequent and sometimes, quite frankly, feels so sudden and often violent, it can be pretty easy to find ourselves in moments of nostalgia where the things seem simpler at a simpler time. I think it's also part of just getting old as well. I mean, memories just pile up over time and it does become fun to quote unquote remember when. And this frankly is what makes this week's podcast and guests so much fun as we get a chance to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane and remember when design was more of an infant field in some ways and to see how far it's come in the process and in many ways how it's stayed pretty much the same despite all of its changes. This week in the Experience by Design Studios, my friend and colleague Mike Goldberg comes by to talk about his long and distinguished career in design. Mike's career extends back quite a long way, with 27 years of teaching of graphic and web design at the college level, as well as 37 years, 37 years of professional award-winning graphic and web design experience. Mike's worked in a lot of different places for a lot of different folks, including creating marketing and advertising campaigns for the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Major League Baseball, maybe you might have heard of them, IBM, Fidelity, and the Wall Street Journal as well. And that's all really impressive stuff. I mean, just, you know, Major League Baseball, kind of a big deal. But beyond those things, and for those old enough to remember video games like Frogger and Qbert, Mike was on the teams that turned those arcade games into video games for early home gaming systems. I mean, you know, Frogger, Qbert. You know, for those who don't know Qbert, you know, go check it out. It was the weirdest game in the world. I mean, it was a lot of fun to play. It wasn't like anybody's main game that they like to be like, you know, I got the high score on Qbert, but it was a really cool and it was a really fun game. Mike also was there to work on Lucasfilm games like Return of the Jedi for your home gaming system. And this was all being done in an 8x8 pixel environment on a light board. I mean, so we're talking about some epic kind of games in our gaming culture and doing it in this low fidelity environment for those of us to remember like Pong. We're talking that kind of thing, right? Epic games, low fidelity environments, and just there at the beginning of it all. I mean, that's all really cool stuff. And Mike talks to us about what that was like. Also in Mike's career, I mean, Julia Child made him lunch. That's pretty cool too. So Mike's been around and met a lot of really great people and had a lot of really great experiences he talks to us about. And along with these accomplishments, I mean, that's enough for anybody's career. Mike has innovated in areas of experiential learning, creating an in-house design company at Bentley University, where we both work, called IDCC Design House, where students work on projects to create web and graphic design for in-house clients, and these are Bentley clients. His own story centers around how one mentor made a difference in his life and really put him on a trajectory for his work in design. And he's taken that one mentor's impact on his life, and he's definitely paying it forward with how he works with his students today. So it's a lot of fun to cover all of that terrain and really, really get a sense of how his heart lies with making a difference for the students that he has in his classes. And so on today's podcast, we're going to hit on the following points and elements. You know, first, from whence does creativity come? And how can we create a culture of innovation in an organization, no matter what kind of organization it is? We also talk about how circuitous career paths can, in fact, be much better than linear ones and how you can gain from those turns that your career can take. We also talk about how to innovate experiential learning and how curriculum design can be innovated to improve student and faculty experiences. And finally, we explore how the important element of teaching design is to give students permission to be creative and to make them believe in the process and the process will lead somewhere to have faith in the process and have faith in themselves that they can in fact can be creative. And that ends up being one of the primary themes for our talk today. Overall, we had a great time chatting. It was a lot of fun. And hope you enjoy our trip down memory lane with an eye towards the future.
I don't know if Adam knows about this 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 company you started here. Right. Um, what I did a couple of years ago, Adam, is along with a lot of the other, the other things that I do here, um, I started a brand identity. And the brand identity is called IDCC Design House. And from Design House, and from Design House, I created a blog. And then associated with the blog is something called Inspirational Design Lectures. And we actually, we actually had our first, I guess, guest speaker of the semester yesterday. Guy's name is Jesus Ramirez. He's an international superstar. He teaches Photoshop. And I have, um, and I, I've collected a bunch of these people and they're part of the, um, my lecture circuit and they Skype our lectures. And it, these, these people are amazing. They're, they're literally the top of the top design professionals in the country. And it's amazing that, that they've offered to help us. Um, and then, yo, know, it's, 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 ridic it's ridiculously amazing. And, and, the, and the fact that they're willing to do it for free just blows my mind. And, and half of the, half of these people are, are going to be at something called Creative Pro uh, in Austin, Texas in June. And this is where people travel all, from all over the world to go to these different conferences. I went to, I went to this one a couple of years ago. That's where I met all these guys. And um, they've been, they, they offered, so they, they're volunteering to Skype us, which is absolutely, it's, it's amazing. And then after, after I got the blog going and the lectures, the lecture series going, then I realized it was time to start the company. Right. So IDCC Design House Studio is the sort of offshoot of the brand. And I hire students who I've trained and we do work for Bentley. And it's everything and anything you can imagine that the Bentley faculty, you know, special events, advertising, um, marketing, you know, all, any kind of material you can imagine, I have the students doing. So this way, they're applying what they're learning in class to these real, these are real world um, client projects. And, we, and we've been doing stuff, you know, all over the school. And um, IDCC Design House Studio was awarded an Innovation and in Teaching Award in, in uh, 2018. That's amazing. So, so you, you've really kind of taken this next level of, of, you know, applied learning, right? Or, you know, experiential learning to the, the next level in terms of providing employment also, which, which is fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. And I had, um, I had a, because I, I heard you before that you, you said that you, now do you live in, in Massachusetts? I do. Yeah. I, I live in Somerville. Okay, I, I live in Reading, and um, and I had w one of my previous design house students, and she said that, you know, I mean, for for a lot of different reasons, because she was a brilliant kid, but um, she interviewed at Hill Holiday, and and uh, so along with the design house experience she had, they hired her. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, it was amazing. No, that's that's actually no small trick, considering that we're not a design school per se, right? I mean, this is a, it's one of those those elements of, even though the students are here for quote unquote business, the doing of business has a lot to do with how you design those experiences and how you design perception and impact. And as I was talking to someone earlier today, there is learning, you know, how to do business, and then there's a doing of business. And when we start to get into this other part that Mike's talking about that we teach in our program that we co-teach in, it's the doing of business and not just how to do business, which becomes, the, for me at least, the experience design element. Well, I've been a, a professional designer, Adam, for about 40 years. Um, I don't know, I don't know what, um, what uh, Gary has told you, but I started as a, I was a video game designer for Parker Brothers. That's, that's what he told me and to start I, off with. And I was like, yep, I want to hear about this. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was on the original design team for Frogger, for anybody mm. who's young enough to remember Frogger. Oh, yeah. And um, and then I worked on Qbert. Oh, then yeah. I did the and, I, and I'm not a programmer. I did graphics and animation. And I did the graphics and animation for the James Bond game. Mm. And then I, actually, then I had an experience where Parker Brothers uh, had a licensing agreement with Lucasfilm. And we worked on a video game for Return of the Jedi. Oh, nice. So, cool. Yeah, so that, that was an amazing experience as well. But from there, I went into um, broadcast design. I know that's an interesting jump. And I was the design director at Channel 4 for several years, doing hmm. uh, on-air graphics and animation 
for uh, for broadcast design. It was re- that was an amazing experience. I have to go back to Cuber because I can't let just let that go because <laughs> for the I mean seriously that was like one of the games where when it first came out it was so different than the other games. Right. I mean it was different. And Adam's young. I'm not. I don't know if Adam's ever played Cubert. Adam, have you ever played Cubert? Back in the day, yes. Back in the back in the uh, the early '90s. So maybe this a later iteration of it. Springy guy, and for, and for the contemporary audience, think about Wreck It Ralph. And Cubert is that guy who's in the subway terminal in the middle. Right. Oh, well, that's right. Cubert well, is in that movie. You're right. <laughs> and and the uh, the thing that was that was fascinating about doing that kind of work was. I mean, we're talking pre-technology, and we were working with eight by eight pixels. It was a little t- tiny, little t- teeny tiny area to try to create all of these wonderful little animated bits. But we figured out how to do it. Does a concept? I was just going to say one, one second, Adam. Does a concept come to you? Like we have this idea of Kubert, and it's this thing that springs and bounces on the blocks, or is it? You guys are sitting in a room and women and just, I don't know if there's any substances involved that lead to these ideas. Well, well, well what we actually did at Parker Brothers is that these games already existed. Okay. These are these came from, um, you know, you'd, you'd go to the, 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 the different places to, to play the, uh, you know, the, uh, the in-house video games. And then they got the license. Okay. And, then, and then these were recreated for Intellivision and Atari. So we really, so we weren't actually sort of involved in the um, creative concept development. Oh, okay. We were really, we were in um, the the department I worked in was called um, it was uh, you know um, electronic production. You know we, we were creating um, product for the masses basically. Right. Uh, well, interesting. So I, I'm kind of curious about just thinking uh, this the concept you said of pre technology and thinking about you know 64 pixels or 64 squares as a space in which you have to kind of visually communicate Qbert or, or the animations too. I, I'm just, I'm curious to hear about your experience in when you have to take that, I mean, I don't really, we can, I guess we can call it a limitation, right? Like the limitation of 64 squares. How does that, how did that shape your process of, of thinking, okay, I gotta, I gotta use these squares uh, this way to make this character move. How, how did that happen for you? That is, yeah, that's actually a very good question. Um, okay. For, Think of it in these terms. I started, I mean, as part of the process, there was no technology. There were no um, desktops. There were no laptops. That didn't exist back then. So we would start with an animator's wheel. Hmm. So you'd have this this thing that had a like like a light table, and you oh, would yeah. have, uh, and so and you would have uh, vellum, you know, uh, partially, uh, you know, um, you know, different kinds of opacity vellum, and you'd start sketching on that. And then you you bring in an, another frame, and it was just, and it was an animator's wheel, so you had the, the three little holes at the top of the paper, so that when you put down the next sheet, it was in perfect registration oh, with the next mm. one, just like just like you would do regular animation, yeah. and then you'd start flipping pages to see if what you're creating is actually moving. Huh. So so now how do we go from that kind of sketch into this little little pixelated little block? And let me tell you. It was it was quite a challenge because you have to experiment and experiment and experiment <laughs> in order to get the shape right. And but but wait, there's more. We had to put in the highlights and the shadows because we had to oh. get these little characters to look to look somewhat 3D. Right. So it, mm. it, it took a long time. Wow. Had... I wonder to what extent because I, I grew up playing those games right on Atari. I had actually an odyssey because we couldn't afford an Atari. That's a different story for a different time. <laughs> but this idea of were you satisfying the customer or the user, or was it also for your own artistic um, sense of self that we got to get this right because we know how it optimally we want it to look, right. and we're going for that, or is it this is what the customer is demanding? That's interesting. I mean, I mean, always the customer base is because you know they want to sell the product and they want they want the product to be successful because. Just like in any business, the more product you sell, the more money they make. Then now you can you can start creating more product. But it, you know, for the designer, we're thinking in terms of the challenge. I've got this very very limited little space, but how do I do this? So when when it's all said and done and everything is given to the programmer, you've got this perfect little world for the user for the player, and they want to keep playing the games and they want to keep buying the games. So you know it was it was up to us to 
to create sort of visual perfection in this little, little teeny tiny, you know, cosmic little world. And we did it. It was it was pretty amazing. I mean, if you, if you, you know, if you took a step back and looked at what gaming looks like today, you know, you mm. get this super, super high resolution, you know, 3D CGI, you know, different universes as opposed to we were one step above Pong. <laughs> yes, I do remember Pong. We were one step above that. But, it, you know, we did it. And um, I remember when I was working on the Ewok adventure game and you had to, you had to make, cause in, in the movie, the Ewoks, I, if I remember this correctly, this was so long ago, but I think in, I think in, in part of what we were, what we were trying to develop was I think we had the Ewoks in their little um, kites. They had these little kites they flew in. So we mm. had to try to create those. Then you had in the, in the uh, Star Wars world, you had those, um, giant robotic you know attack vehicles but they were on two legs yeah oh, the chicken walkers, yeah. yeah and and you had to animate them right and you had to yeah. animate them walking and you had to animate them shooting and falling and exploding you know all that stuff so you're cussing out lucas star wars and then the programmers are cussing you out for then giving them this job of replicating this very intricate environment Actually, into that's programming you said that we never we didn't cuss out star wars we we were praying to them because it, it really was an amazing experience. Right. I mean, to, 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 to have the opportunity to work on something like that, right. that was associated with something like that was a big deal. It's a big, I mean, you tell anybody I worked on Frogger. I mean, that's like, you might as well have like, you know, toured with Prince or something. Right. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's, but again, at the time we were doing it, it was a game. Right. It was a product. Hmm. You know, we, we never really knew at the time what kind of life this thing was going to have. And, it, hmm. and, it, and again, it, like when I did the um, when I did the James Bond animation at the beginning, my favorite part was at the beginning of every James Bond movie. You know, they do that little song and there's a there's a, there's a gunshot and the blood starts to take yeah. down. Well, hmm. we did that. We did that, that. That's how the game started. Right. And it was done in those little little pixels. And it looked great, and it sounded great. <laughs> That's awesome. Like that. what, what? What? I mean, what drew you in general? So, so did your your background in design? Did you did you do school for animation, for example? And, and is that what you were drawn to, or in terms of like your first form of visual communication? I am. I am very happy you asked me that, because the answer to that is absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I was always personally. I was wait, wait to hear this. I was always personally interested in all of that. You know, mm. I was a super huge um, comic book collector. Um, I think mm. I still have yeah. something like 4,000 4, comics in my collection. Wow. Oh, easily. Wow. And, um, well, I sold some, you know, in, in the interim. But I was, always, I was always drawing. I was always sketching. I was, everything about what I was doing was, had to do with creativity. But as I, you know, as you get to a certain age and you're, and you're getting closer to, to going to college, it's kind of, well, what do I do now? Where, where mm. do I go? Mm. Um, I, I thought about going to art school, and at the last minute, I changed my mind. I decided to go to Boston University instead. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I had all kinds of other types of creative experiences at BU, but none of them were part of their art school. It, I, hmm. I, it's, it's like if, if I could have done the worst thing I could have done, <laughs> that's what I did. For some reason, I decided to be a biology major. In the, in the history of the world, that was the worst mistake I could have made. But what it did was it pushed me into what I should be doing, which mm. was which was terrific. And I was able to get into a, a, actually a master's program at BU called Educational Media and Technology, which had to do with multimedia. Oh. Because back then, that was the technology. And it's it's kind of from there, you know, that I, I got into this. But the... Um, but all of the, the, the really great experiences I've ever had, all of them, including Bentley, was because of who I knew. It was always connected to, a, to, to, to some contact or network. Right. That, that's how I made those leaps. And that's how I got into Parker Brothers. Um, I, I had a very dear friend from college who I didn't realize had, 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 he got a job as a programmer for Parker Brothers. And one day I got this call and they said, hey, they're looking for somebody just like you. Do you want to do video games? And I, I was like, yeah, absolutely. 
He's like, well, what about what you're doing now? I said, no, let's, I want to do this. And that's mm. kind of how it all started. And, um, and from the video game industry, and unfortunately, you know, there was a, there was a, a spot where a point in history where it collapsed, you know, the, the early video game mm. companies just collapsed. And somehow I wound up in a little mom and pop video production company and loved it. But I learned everything from the ground up. I mean, I learned everything. Set design, you know, video graphics, all kinds of stuff. And so I was there for several years. And then, again, I had somebody who I knew at the video production company. And one day he calls me and says, um, uh, Channel 4 is looking for a, you know, looking for a designer. Um, he says, I hope you don't mind, but I gave them your demo reel. And I'm like, you did what? Because, again, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about broadcast design. I'm like, oh, dear God, what, you know, what? And they said, and they want to see you tomorrow. And I'm like, wow. okay. What was on the demo reel? I'm sorry? What was on the demo reel? That... Was video production company. All kinds of show opens and TV commercials. And it was all, okay. it was all um, like broadcast design, okay. uh, graphics, animation for, for television, things like that. And somehow, some for some reason, <laughs> Channel 4 hired me. So going back to this, so you're at a video production company with a biology bachelor's degree, then an Wait, educational. I didn't tell you the best. That that's not the degree I have. Where did you get it? Psychology. Oh. Yeah, well, that makes a little bit more sense. I mean, psychology and biology historically are not a great combination to combine. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of, you know, I mean, just eugenics, just for a moment, um, and IQ testing. Setting that part aside. The fact that you go from the psychology to this educational design to Frogger and Qbert and now into television or video production, not never being trained in any of the above. That's right. Right. So then how do you enter the space and consider, like, what am I being asked to do and what do I need to produce? My philosophy my whole life has been I, I know what I want to do. I know the kinds of things I want to try. I didn't at the time didn't really care where I was doing it. If anybody would give me an opportunity, I was going to jump on it. But along the way, I have I had been establishing and building a, a professional portfolio. It just didn't, I just didn't go to school for it. Wow. Hmm. Well, it does speak how, how, to this idea of like, how much school do you need to do a thing? Well, yeah. you, you bring, again, you bring up a, a very, very interesting and important uh, concept. Um, you know, these days, if 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 you see like a you know somebody's looking for a graphic designer, like even here at the, at the school, I tell the students, well, what they're probably looking for is what I call a four-year portfolio. You know, they they've, the kids have spent four full years in in a design program, and they have this luscious you know portfolio. Right, right. So then I have the students who are taking my creative classes, and they like them. And they're, they're good at them because the kids here are, you know, not, not only are the, are the Bentley students smart, but they're talented. You know, you, you just got to give them a chance. And um, with this kind of, um, you know, talent and everything else they have, now I have students who come to me and say, well, I want to be a graphic designer. And I have to explain to them, yeah. well, great. You know, I mean, I, I tell everybody, go for it, you know, but you have to understand that they're looking for four-year portfolios. but but the, but the idea is check out what companies you're interested in. Look at that company. See if there's, if there's any kind of job offering that may be close to what you're interested in. Get in the company. Just get in. You know, do what, they, what, they, what they've hired you for and then show them what you want to do. Right. Right. I mean, that's everywhere I've ever been. That, that's what I've done. The, the, uh, the beauty of working at Bentley, which is absolutely, I mean, you know, to me is mind blowing is I am lucky enough to work with like Gary and, and all the people that I've met, everybody in my department, everybody in my department, these are brilliant, extremely open-minded people. I think we're all brilliant. Absolutely. I, I, <laughs> and, um, and I see so the evidence. Because, well, not all of us. Because there's, you know what I'm talking about, Mike. Because they're so open-minded, you know, I keep coming to them with these ideas, and 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 granted, you know, I have to prove that I, you know, that that what I'm doing is 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 a real thing, and that and and, and this is you know reliable, and it's it's really going to benefit the students. But because I'm because they're open-minded and they're listening and they're letting me try, 
I'm able to do them and grow and keep going, which is why this year, our plan, on top of everything else that we're building for IDCC Design House, we're adding the podcast. And the podcast that we're going to do has to deal with creativity in business. Mm, Everything and anything that has to do with creativity. Cool. Are, are you thinking about this is a contradiction terms? Go ahead. Go ahead I know, right. Well, that's what they say, right? There's actually there's actually a great book by anthropologist Brian Maureen called the the business of creativity. That is that it's a lot about this, but a lot about in in um, industries that we don't often associate with creativity, which I think would be some good fodder to think about with the podcast. For example, uh, he does a lot of work with Japanese potters, and you know, obviously that that's a quite a creative enterprise because you're you're producing. You could call it a product. You could call it a a service if you want. You, I mean, you can call it multiple different kinds of things. Art, you know, and, and kind of categorize these different ways. But I think what's so interesting about this too is again when, when we were thinking about what is creativity and how does it work in, in business, you know. So uh, so part part of my story is that uh, I'm actually just wrapping up a, a user experience bootcamp myself, and I'm an anthropologist by training, uh, but have become fascinated, kind of like you, with with the design world, both visual design and sound and audio design, and. Uh, it's been so interesting to, to as I as I look more into the the quote industry, uh, you know, the idea that designers are counted as the quote creative, like like you know we, we talk about them as a chunk that is known as the creative, I think is really interesting, uh, primarily because a lot of when we think about design, we in general have the idea in society about that that's a visual, it's a graphic design, you know, UX might move us into the idea of of more digital experiences, uh, but in general, like I, I think a common you know, you know layman's idea of design is something visual, yet there there's so much other parts to it that are not necessarily visual. In this case, we might think about communication or animation, obviously, um, uh, or, you know, communication design or the layout of something or how the copy of, of a site is written or a book even, um, or a podcast too, and how, how is the sound, how are the, the segments put together, for example. And I, I think so. So I, I like, I'd love to get your thoughts on this idea of like when you talk about what does it mean to mix business and creativity, how are you thinking about approaching that in the podcast? But also, you know, maybe how does IDCC Design House think about that also? Uh, is creativity exactly. this like super wide berth or, or how does it how does that line up? Again, brilliant question. I, I also teach a course here called Concept Development, which hmm. basically is because students who don't come from a design background, a lot of this stuff they have difficulty assimilating. You know, I, I find myself talking and they're looking at me like I have two heads. Right. So, and, and well, you don't. I'm looking at you right now. When I, when oh, I that's good. I, I, I couldn't tell. So, yeah, I was making sure. <laughs> when I first started teaching here, you know, I'm teaching all these different, you know, creative type classes. And I spent an awful lot of time at the beginning of the semesters trying to get them to understand what concept development was. Because before you can create an idea, you have to develop a concept. And then I started talking about hand sketching. And then I scared the crap out of them. You know, the idea of, oh, my God, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not an artist. And But none of that matters. That's not what this is about. I use a book called Thinker Toys. Thinker Toys has got to be one of the best books that I've ever used. And I, when I was at Parker Brothers, this is how long ago I got this thing. Thinker Toys is all about brainstorming. And it's got it must it must have 30 different techniques of brainstorming with all these different stories about how companies, you know, that that everybody's familiar with. It's like, you know, where did this come from? How did they develop this? Why did this happen? And the book Thinker Toys explains this. So in concept development, I'm teaching the kids brainstorming. But what I'm really teaching is communication. Okay, it's the idea of when you could combine communication and an idea with with passion, you wind up with creative innovation right. <laughs> because you have to be you have to be excited about your idea and excited enough. Excuse me, excited enough that you won't let anybody, you know, push your idea down. That's why when you brainstorm, there are no negatives. You can't say I don't like that idea or, or I've heard that. You can always say. I want to build on that because you never know where the next million dollar, billion dollar idea is going to come from. So, so the courses I teach here, I now develop, now I now I teach a concept development class where the whole the whole semester is based on idea generation, and it's called it's called thinking different. Mm-hmm. And when you think different, think different leads you into innovation. You basically can't help it because if you're if you're now telling students there are no blocks. There, there are no barriers. There are no walls to anybody's idea. Just go. 
it's fascinating to see where the ideas go. And, and, and so I, so I, I, you know, I, I bring in the idea of concept development. I teach web design. I teach a class called advanced visual communication, which is a graphic design course, but it's, but you asked me about creativity in business. Uh, advanced visual communication is a client class. It's a client based class and we're working with a nonprofit client. So the kids are learning best business practices. They're learning production schedule, production management, on top of learning Photoshop. Wow. You know, we, we're, we're, we're slamming them with all kinds of stuff. And you know what happens? They come out the other side with amazing work. I think one of the key things about the Photoshop piece, which I just was thinking about, well, first, you can't have creativity without taking risk. It's just part and parcel. And so many of the, the kids today, quote unquote, are risk averse because it's been beaten out of them through their educational process. And one of the nice things about Photoshop versus some of the other assignments they might get is that it's a very fluid, elastic and dynamic environment in which they can, you know, work without boundaries and barriers, so to speak. If you're working, if you're looking at, you know, Excel, right, or if you're looking at an accounting project or what, any other kind of business function they're trying to learn, they're expecting the way to do it. Give me the steps to accomplish what you want me to do so I can replicate it for you and get a good grade, which is why they struggle so much. And not just our kids at this school, but I think in general, they struggle so much with this concept of creativity, vulnerability, and risk. What I do is I make sure that I, I let the students know from day one that I want them to fail. Because what's going to happen is that if you don't understand the design process yet, if you don't understand Photoshop yet, and you've never done this before, well, you're going to fail. But the only way to learn and to, and to evolve is you have to fail. I tell students, even to this day, I've been a professional designer for 40 years. I have clients to this day, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, doing, I'm doing these ideas and I'll show it to a client. And, you know, and, and all of a sudden the client looks at all the different stuff that I've, I've taken all this time to work on. And they look at me and they go, wow, that all sucks. Right. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, so obviously I, I, must have, I must have missed something. Tell me how you really feel about it. But that's okay. Because if I fail, what it does is it's, it's, now it's pushing me in the, in the right direction. Because, you know, when, when you talk about an idea, and I love this, you're talking about an idea with anybody, with a client, you know, with, with, with somebody that you're collaborating with, and you're both getting excited. This happens all the time. And you're like, yeah, I know, I'm on the same page. And we both go off and do something. We come back. And it was like, what were we speaking? You know, not, not, none mm. of this looks like what we were talking about because you can't read somebody's mind. And mm. I, I, again, I tell the students that it's okay. I understand if they don't know. It's okay not to know. Right. But then I tell mm -hmm. them you only get two weeks to not to know. <laughs> <laughs> but not all the time. Well, right. <laughs> but, but enough to but learn that it's, a, it's more part of the process. That failing is part of the process. Because if you're failing, then you're trying. Mm -hmm. right. and, and you're right, especially with design. Is there an immediate right answer? Absolutely not. Because there's mm -hmm. a million ways to do this. I'm just trying to get them to understand the rules so that, so that at least we, we're all starting at the same place. Yeah, no, I think that it's great. It's it's that that it's um, I, I teach a design thinking class at, at Lesley University in, in Cambridge, and uh, and so what you're saying really resonates with me. And actually, one of my students uh, the other day said something that was, that was quite on par and quite inspiring. Um, you know, in relation to what you're saying there, in that they were doing a reflection on on the the empathy or the discovery phase process of design thinking, where you, you know, try to get a sense of what what are people trying to accomplish in a certain area. And, you know, what, what do they struggle with? And um, they came out with this, this reflection that, you know, this process is, is hard because I, I, similarly to what you're saying, I, I teach them to be okay with ambiguity and that this process is hard, but part of it is trusting, trusting the process and just doing it, right? Like you have to just keep going with it and things will begin to start working themselves out, you know, in your head, in the process with your team. Uh, but what the this, this student reflected back was that, you know, they said, I, I learned that I, it's not so much about being wrong in this in this space, but it's that if if you ever feel wrong, it's it's actually just because there's new information, there's a new way of looking at it. So it's not so much about being erroneous; it's more about there's more to the story than I knew before. And I thought that was really poignant. You know, it's a really great way to think about failure and, and quote wrongness, right? As as not wrong or or failure in the end, like I should stop now sense, but just more like there's more to the story, right? 
it's 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 a question of it, you know, especially especially when you're doing design. I mean, you know, you're not you're not in an operating room. You know, if you make a and I, and I I don't want to use the word mistake, but if you do something that's not exactly right, you know, the the colors, you know, the the picture is not going to die. So it, it's a you know it's a good place it's a good place to experiment. And again, all of this is all about what if. What mm. if I try this? What happens if I try this? And again, with Photoshop, I mean, again, I've been using Photoshop since what version 0.0. You get to the point with, and the the, the real fun part about Photoshop is, okay, I know all of these tools. I know all of these techniques. This is how you're supposed to use them. What if I don't use them that way? Mm -hmm. What if I I try something else? And and a lot of times when, when it's the other thing you try, guess what? That's when you land on the brilliant idea. And, and, you know, and mm-hmm. when the client says, oh, my God, that's what, what did you do? You tell them that they have to pay for that. Right. You know, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. just tell you how I did it. Um, but and, and what I find, because also what I'm trying to do is that in the creative process, when somebody their whole life is told, well, you're not creative. This is daunting. All right. And it's very mm-hmm. intimidating. And, and, and the thing that I have to, that the, the biggest hurdle I have to get over is I got to get the kids to relax. To, to, mm. I need them to understand that I understand. And it's like, let's just start and see what happens. You know, I, I, had, a, um, I, had, I had a student come in today who's been having some difficulty with a project simply because she's never done this before. Guess mm. what? By the time we were done, not only did she do it correctly, she did something really clever and surprised herself. One of the things that really helped me understand this personally is I've actually had the chance to observe artists and art instructors at work. As part of my teaching of ethnography, I want to understand how they see things so I can communicate students how they see things. And even really great artists, you know, they'll talk about I'm making 10,000 incorrect lines so I can find the line that's the right one. That's right. And it's not like you're going to the first the first thing you put down is going to be the right line or the right image, or the right texture, or the right tone, or whatever, and that you can go through the entire process of producing a painting, or a drawing, or a pastel, or whatever, and at the very end, you go, you know what, it sucks, I need to start all over again. But you learn something in the process that brings you further along than you were when you started out. One of the things that's fascinating about this is that, uh, again, many years ago when I was at Parker Brothers, they sent us to a company, I think it was in Cambridge, to learn how to brainstorm. That's where I got my first copy of Thinker Toys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one, of the, um, one of the exercises that I use to this day that, w- that was astounding was, you know, you'd be in there and they're teaching you because what they sent us there for was to come up with 5,000 ideas for video games, you know, and that's, the, that's not an easy task either. And so you'd be in teams and you'd be working like crazy. And all of a sudden, without warning, they'd stop you. So you think you're, you're on your way to something and everybody's kind of, you know, in, 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 in the Zen mode of, of an idea and they would just stop you and they'd bring you into another room. This was this was fantastic. And in the room was a table on the table was a, was a little pile of colored construction paper. Hmm. And they brought you in this honest to God and the guy or whoever whoever was leading each team. All they said was, go, and walked out. <laughs> and everybody was great. You know, everybody's a you know, working professional. We're all highly creative. And we, we all, you know, we, we have our habits. We have our rules. No instructions. No rules. No nothing. Just a pile of colored paper. So the idea was, it's, um, I, I never remember this. There's something, like if you're eating a meal and they stop the meal and they give you like a little bit of like flavored ice to cleanse your palate. Well, mm. that's what this is. Okay. This is like a mind cleanse. And the idea is it's so that, that what they want you to do is stop thinking about what you've been, what you've been, you know, killing yourself about and just do this and let's see what happens. And sure enough, every group made something. We weren't told to make anything. We just made something. And, and, and what did we make? We made Bleen. We made Drek. We just, you know, it was, we just did stuff. And what we found out was when we went back to our original exercise, we were now completely refreshed to continue doing what we were doing. Oh, no kidding. 
It was amazing, an amazing exercise. And it's a great way to level a, a team out. It's a great way to get everybody to kind of like decompress. And what it does mm. is it gets your creative juices flowing all over again. And in a lot of cases, your, your, your creativity is now shifted. So now you're looking at your problem differently. And now you're making different kinds of success and different kinds of um, suggestions on whatever the final idea is going to be. Very clever. Hmm. I've struggled with trying to do similar things in my classes with students is giving them, trying to inspire their creativity by giving them few directions on how to tackle any assignment, right? I give them general guidelines and frameworks, but then want them to express their creativity. And one of the biggest takeaways I have is that a lot of them just really do not want to express their creativity. They're like, I do not want to be creative. I want to produce a paper for you that has certain requirements that I can meet in very clear and precise terms. Thank you very much. You can take your creativity and shove it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like one of those things where I, I, I want you to be creative because there's this piece that, you know, if all you know how to do is replicate instructions, the shelf life in your career is going to be relatively short in a rapidly evolving technological hellscape. Right. So we really do have to find that humanness in you, which is the, the factor that separates us from the machines that will slowly be taking over is this creativity. And if you can't use that power and all you can do is replicate you're going to be John Henry trying to lay more track and you might be successful for a time, but then you're going to die of a heart attack. I think mm. what, what I find a lot is the very, very first sort of um, instinct or reflex is to hold back. Um, and, and like when I put kids in brainstorming groups, the very first thing I look for is who takes over the group? Who's the leader? And which kids are not are not helping at all? You know, which kids are sitting back and just kind of sitting there? And what I what I do gently is I, I try to get the kids who are really are contributing to take more of a leadership role because part of this. And when I said before that I have a degree in psychology, it really does help. It, does it help. really does help. For sure. and so the idea is is that I'm so aware of this because I've been doing it for so long, is that. What I start to see from these other students is they surprise themselves or they're delighted to, to see that, wow, I'm, I'm actually allowed to do this. And which shows me that maybe for, for a very long time, either they weren't allowed to do it or maybe their ideas weren't um, justified right. or people didn't take them seriously. But, but, you, but you, you have to. Right. Everybody, so that's why I tell them everybody's idea is the next million dollar idea. Right. You know, don't throw things out. Um, in, in, in these sessions, I've done things like, which I, I get the biggest kick out of, is I'll say, okay, everybody knows what a bagel is. Right. Okay, your goal is to, is to design the next great bagel. And they look at me <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not kidding. I said, you have to design a new bagel. And, and I went, no rules. Everything is, is open for discussion. You can do whatever you want. And I, you know, I have students go, can it play music? Yes. You want your bagels to play music? Fantastic. You know, um, so, so now what starts to happen is it's like you open a good version of Pandora's box. And now all the ideas just start flooding. And it's fun to watch the kids smile and laugh. You know, because I, I think maybe their creativity surprises themselves. Right. Um, but I've, I've done things like, okay, the next great toothbrush. I even did, okay, uh, what, what's the future of paper clips? You know, you, you take these ideas that, like, nobody really thinks about, and now you focus their energy on this idea. Right. But it's not, it's not the thing that I'm after. I don't, it's not the thing I'm asking them to design. I'm seeing how the group works together because I want I want to see how they're developing, how they're adapting themselves to this kind of concept, because the idea is that once they start to learn what what it means to do this and feel like this, then I want them to apply that to their actual work. And it, it works. Interesting. I mean, it doesn't work with everybody, but but it does work. 
You know, so that, I think that that's that's really interesting. And so I, I kind of have a question for this, oddly enough, myself and Gary in this scenario to think about is that so I because I, I think I think what you're saying really resonates. Uh, and when teaching certainly design and creative processes, you know, it's interesting because creativity on one level is something that we are taught as kids that it's an individual thing, right? It's an individual thing that, you, you know, you have or do not have. And like it's erroneously kind of taught to kids as you can draw or not, right? You, you can sketch or not. You're an artist. Um, and then when it comes to teaching the process, you know, in college, uh, you, you know, there, there is this mix too of like, what are your Photoshop skills? What are your uh, artistic skills? But then also, as you're saying here, you know, when you're looking at the the, the process, the, the teaching of the process, both instilling it in people and seeing how they do it, it is a lot about this, the team dynamic and how do people interact with one another? Because in the work environment, that's 99% of how the work is going to be. And so what I'm thinking about that's is, right. you know, uh, as, as, Anthropologists, sociologists too, and psychologists maybe as well too. A lot of the assignments and research projects uh, and and things that students might do within the classroom setting tend to be individual. Like an ethnographer, like the anthropologist is known, like the the image of the lone anthropologist right. dropped off on the beach as the boat sails away, right? And and that, I mean honestly, that was that was a chunk of like I did my field work. I, I worked in Peru for two years doing a participatory design project with with uh, quinoa conservation. And I mean, I worked with a ton of people, obviously, because I'm studying how people make decisions around farming and commercialization. But at the same time, there's still the idea the anthropologist is doing the research by themselves, which is very weird. And so one of the big things that I've, I'm, I'm really trying to wrap my head around uh, just currently in career development for myself, for my students and something that Gary and I think about, too, um, in sociology and anthropology is this question of how do we instill team dynamics, team thinking, team doing, team brainstorming uh, into these other fields that could very well use it. And, and honestly, like working in industry too, as a qualitative researcher, you're still working on teams all the time anyway. So it is very interesting to think about. There is this, this I don't have a disconnect, but right there, there are, there's a lot of space for opportunity to, to sort of teach these processes of team building, team bonding, team dynamics, um, you know, creativity and research in teams uh, you know, in, in these other disciplines that we don't always see them. And so, I don't know, that's that's maybe just a rant versus a question, but. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I, years ago, you know, I was hired by certain companies to come in and lead brainstorming sessions. Hmm. And these were companies who you might think, at the, at, you know, from the, the, the kind of work they did or the products they did, this wasn't really a creative environment, but this is why creativity is important for, for, all, for everything. And. You know, the very first thing was you'd, you'd get you'd get some people who just would shut shut down. They just didn't want they didn't think this was important. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. And then the idea was to prove to them, even as a group, why this was important, why you can have fun doing this, hmm. watch the outcome and then show them how to apply it. And by the end of these sessions, everybody was doing it. Right. It was really fascinating um, when I. A very, very bizarre thing happened to me when I was in college that I wasn't expecting where, again, so here I am as a biology major taking chemistry and calculus and, and dear God, what was I doing? And because I, I was a designer at heart, I was an artist, a creative at heart. And even, and back then, I don't really think I understood what that meant because I didn't really have good, you know, I didn't really have the right people pushing me along. But what I started to find out was that there were different there were different projects on campus where they were looking for people to help them. So I started to step in and I was doing these really amazing sort of displays, like like museum displays around hmm. school for different things. And I had done a, um, it was an archeological display where we were doing Australopithecus and, 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 and the evolution of man. Hmm. And, and I was, wow, I was really, really tumbling in, in, in my major. I mean, it was getting dangerous because I, I was in the wrong place because I'm also taking chemistry and I'm like, I should not be doing any of this. And the, the dean of the biology department, I got a, I got a, a notice stating, this is great. He said he, that they wanted to see me. And I'm thinking, I'm flunking. <laughs> They're going to throw me out of school. Why would the dean of biology want to see me? I, I couldn't think of any other reason. So I panicked a little bit. Anyway, so the day comes and I go to meet with him. And the guy, this guy was great. I mean, everybody loved this guy. And what he did, honest to God, was I sat down in his office, but the chairs had wheels on them. I don't know if this was for a reason, but the very first thing he did was he grabbed the arm of the chair I was sitting in and pulled me close to him and then handed me a Tootsie Pop. 
a, a lollipop. <laughs> sure. All right. And he, he he was eating one. That's what I would have done. And, he's, and, and, I'm, and, I, and now I'm thinking, <laughs> what is going on? You know, what is this about? And he's, you know, eating the lollipop for a moment. And he takes a lollipop. Out. I, I, remember, I remember this to the day I die. Takes the lollipop out. And he's sort of, sort of pointing it at me. And he looks at me and he says, point blank, what the blank are you doing here? And I went, are you throwing me on this, you know? And he laughed and he said, no. He says, I just found out that you're the guy who's been doing all of these displays all over the campus. Why are you a biology major? He said, hmm. this was great. He said, <laughs> he said, clearly you shouldn't be. And I said, <laughs> I get that. He said, why aren't, you, why aren't you in the art program? And because of him, he got me into one of the art classes. I'm, and I'm thinking, well, and, and before this, I had actually, I had gone to the Museum of Fine Arts for 10 years as a kid. I went to art school as a little kid. and But I, I never put the two together. So you went to the MFA or the, or the school, the museum school? It was a museum school. Okay, the one next to the MFA. And, um, but this was for, for, for children. Right. And I went forever. And um, But the, the point I'm making is that, so here I am as a biology major. I've got the dean of the biology department helping me. Right. And the other thing was, so now I had changed and I'm a psychology major. And one day out of the blue, I get I get a message from it was the dean of the advertising department wanted to see me. OK, so here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm not in any art program, but they were finding out the different things that I was doing. And she sat me down. She says, I have a I have a special thing that we want to talk to you about. And she said, do you have you ever heard of Boston University's ad club? And I went, yeah. She said, you know, we have a magazine. I said, I know. She said. Well, we know you're a uh, psychology major, but I've worked it with your department where we're going to get you out of a class and we're going to make you the new art director <laughs> for the Ad Club magazine. And I, I'm going, what just happened? You can't do stuff like that anymore. That sounds like a fun place to work. I mean, you know, no one ever described BU as a fun place to work, I don't think, but that sounds great. <laughs> but, but the thing, what it, was, what it was showing me, what it showed me was, wow. There's a whole different world out there. Right. And it's a world that I belong in. So that's what started to happen. And that's hmm. where I started to get the, the cue that, you know, maybe there really is a place for me. Well, I, I think, you know, Adam, to your question and pulling what Mike said, I was looking at my phone and I wasn't ignoring, you know, Mike as he was talking, but I was pulling up a book I just got done reading called Mapping Innovation. And, and one of the, the key points in that book is that innovation is a team sport. And the quote I was going to read is, uh, we, we need to give up the illusion of control and learn to use platforms in order to access ecosystems of talent, technology, and information in a world connected by digital technology. Power no longer resides at the top of value chains, but at the center of networks. And the best way to become a dominant player is to become an indispensable partner. And so what Mike was just describing is, you know, what salvaged you here was that you were an indispensable partner. And serving as a as a conduit between biology and psychology and archaeology and you know the ad club because of this ability which was this through line which connected all these points. So on the one hand, one might take your story and say, "Well, you're a biology major; that was time wasted." I would say that was valuable information that you're able to draw on, pardon the pun, right. later in life in ways that you couldn't map out ahead of time. Exactly. I mean, everything that you do has a purpose, everything. Right. Um, and that's what I tell the students here. Um, it's funny that, that, to, to go around and around with this, but so I, so I, I get students who you know they want to be graphic designers. So I, I tell them, apply for everything. Don't let anybody tell you no. There are ways to do it, but you're going to have to find your way to right. do it. You know, even, even, if, even if somebody's looking for, you know, a, a specialty school or a specialty background, I said, the stuff that you're learning at Bentley is invaluable. And because you've now taken these creative classes and you have you have portfolio proof, you never know where this is going to take you. Right. Don't let anybody tell you no. Just try. Because you don't know where this is going to go. And and I, I for me, I think that that is probably one of the, one of the most important messages is, you know, you'll, you'll get, well, I didn't study that. So, <laughs> so take everything you've studied and see how that how that will work for you. I think that's absolutely right. And when people think about creativity and innovation, 
they think, I mean, the, the error is you're, you're, you think about it in very linear terms and everything I've been reading about it, which is, you know, a bit is this inspiration coming from integration and this ability to draw from disparate areas, which are, you know, the dots seemingly unconnected, but then you find ways of bringing together. And this is where Adam, you know, getting your thoughts on this, where at least for me, ethnography becomes essential because we're dot mm -hmm. finders. Right. We're kind of yeah. journey. We're, we're, we we take journeys into spaces and we find dots and then we connect them. If you if you tell yourself, no, you're not going to try. When I I mean, I, I've done a, I've done all kinds of really interesting, <laughs> bizarre things in my life. I'm sure everybody has. But when I was um, also when I was in school and I don't know why I was fascinated with marine zoology, I decided one day to check the New England Aquarium. And sure enough, they had a volunteer program. Oh, so I, I, I'm like, I'd like to work there. I want to see what that's like. I'm, I'm telling you for a reason. So I got a job working there for a couple of years. But now, as part of my master's degree, doing multimedia, I, I, I had amazing teachers. Amazing. Speaking of creativity, and so I. One of the, who the guy who was my mentor in, the, in my master's my master's degree program who basically changed my life. I, I really I, I really thank thank all of my success to, to this one particular person because of, because of him this is I'm I'm here I'm this is what I'm doing now, and he got me an internship. This was great. He said I'm going to take you someplace that you're not going to expect, and he said knowing you, you're probably going to get probably not going to be happy about this and you, and you think you're not going to like it so i'm thinking wow that's a that's a great way to sell an internship <laughs> it took me to a library a um a middle school in in uh it was in newton and he said you're going to be working in the library and i'm thinking what i'm going to be working as a librarian in a, but that's not what it was the, the person that i met was brilliant her her way of thinking and collaborating with the teachers. See, I even back then I didn't realize how much I liked education, but the way that she collaborated with everybody in the school and the way that she got the school to focus and make the library the heart of the school and the way that they utilize the information was brilliant. Right. It was absolutely brilliant. So they find out because that I that I'm still working. I mean, it was on weekends, but I'm working at the New England Aquarium. So now. This is how this is why life is really funny. So now all the pieces are coming back together again and they want to go to the aquarium, but they want to find out if the aquarium had some kind of orientation program to be able to give to a, a school or give to a classroom to get the kids ready to visit the aquarium. Gotcha. I go back to the aquarium. I tell them what I'm doing is an internship. The aquarium says we don't have anything like that. And I'm like, I don't understand. I see school groups come in here constantly Busters drops them off. and and basically that's what they said they said it's a it's a field trip right. they, they come in and they said they look at the fish they go to the gift store they eat something and they yeah and, and, they, and then they go back to school so i said you have no orientation program and i you know knowing me i went aha <laughs> one of those aha moments so i went back because i knew that i had a master i had a like this massive like master end project i had to do i went back to the, the people at bu explain what I was doing. They knew about what I was doing as an internship. So they got the woman who was in charge of the library. They got the guy who was my mentor, who was in charge of my master's program. They got all the teachers of all the classes that I was in. We had this giant meeting. So they developed for, for an entire, because you know, because in graduate school you have, you know, you still have semesters. So for an entire semester, they redeveloped the program to revolve around having me create a or a um, orientation package for the New England Aquarium, I couldn't believe this was happening. So we put together this wonderful, very creative slideshow. I did all the photography. We, you know, we did all the programming back at the school. And then, because I had different classes with different topics, the teachers took the project apart. And in this class, I focused on this part of the project. In this class, I focused on that part of the project. It was, it was amazing. So let me ask you this question, because what you seem to be describing is the ability to integrate courses in innovative ways that was not 
programmatic, right? It just, it was organic. The relationships existed between the professors and the program, and they saw an opportunity and were able to come together in a fluid and dynamic way to, to create this experience. Right, but the thing that was that I, that I was learning kind of as part right. of this was that like any university, there's curriculum and, and there are things that you have to satisfy right. in order to get your degree. So the different classes and courses I was taking was satisfying that, following the rules of curriculum. Right. But they let me, as a group, as a group dynamic, they let me split or splinter the project. Yeah, and I think the cool thing about that is this school and other schools are trying to do this curricular redesign to spur connection and innovation across classes that while they were the, the goal there was not to satisfy the curriculum it was as a primary goal it was to create a meaningful experience that had impact through which we could satisfy the curriculum you know what i mean absolutely i mean it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big difference because if if they were rule followers that would not have been possible is my point. Well, I mean, the, the, the Stanford department that I work in right now, the IDCC program, right. like I said, the people I work with are brilliant. I mean, I, I know this is going to sound silly, but these are like some of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my entire career because as a unit, they're open to all of this. Right. They know where this is going to go because everything that I'm doing is still curriculum aimed. You know, I mean, everything is very, very surgically designed in order to satisfy all of the all of the necessities that that Bentley needs. That, that that's part of the Bentley, you know, process. But the, the and and the idea is, I'm I'm doing this because I I'm trying to find every way that I possibly can to benefit the students in the best way that I know how. I think a big piece of this is in the innovation process, you know, trusting in the outcome because the people that you reference, I know as well. And there is this sense of we have enough faith in each other and our and our abilities, along with the students that we can chart this course, which we know where we want to get to. But how we're going to get there is not yet defined, but we'll we'll build the plane as we fly it kind of thing. Versus often in organizations, especially people are really, if it's a process-oriented culture, it's we first have to have the process in place before we can even start thinking about it being innovative. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And this is where I think that, at least in my opinion, a lot of organizations go wrong because they want a process, they want a process-driven innovation versus a practice-driven innovation. Well, and the thing that I find fascinating about specific ways, when I worked for several places in my career who didn't have this kind of philosophy, who refused to have this kind of open-mindedness, right. the, the idea of recognizing individual innovation, and those places have since collapsed. They're gone. Right. And, and with, with no surprise, they were so, you know, rule specific that they just wouldn't open themselves up to, to new and other possibilities that they didn't they didn't survive and 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 you know if you're going to go back to the idea of, of just business in general the way a company has to evolve is to be aware and to be open to uh, innovation otherwise this is what happened and also if you're not open to innovation you start to um you're ignoring the passion of the people who are working for you and like I said before, right. passion is a major part of all this, which is why I, I'm trying. I, I hope I hope I'm doing this successfully. I think I am to get my kids as passionate about what I'm doing so that they're really interested and they want to keep coming back. What you want is, you know, you always want the students, you know, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, you want them to wake up in the morning and go, wow, I can't wait to go to that class because that's what education is all about. All right, Michael, thanks so much this was for chatting. We want to thank Mike Goldberg of Bentley University and a lot of other places, as well as the IDCC Design House Studios, for taking some time to chat with us about his long career and the great stories he has collected. And trust me, there were a lot of stories. It was great to hear about how far we've come in design work from these early beginnings, especially in the online or the video environment. And how a lot of it has really stayed fundamentally the same despite its changes in technology. 
And thanks again for joining us in the Experience by Design Studios. Always great to have you here and to see you here. You're always welcome, and we like to have as many visitors as possible. Just make sure you wear a mask when you enter, okay? Let us know how you're listening at feedback at experiencexdesign.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you like about the podcast, what you'd like to see improved, what episodes you'd like to hear more about, and any other feedback you have for us. We look forward to seeing you again in the EXD studios. We have some new features coming up that I think everyone is going to really enjoy. It's going to provide you a chance to contribute to the experience by Design Studios with your own experience stories. A new feature Adam and I are playing with and we'll be prototyping it, can I say, here very shortly. So stay tuned for more developments on that front. Finally, we hope that you're all staying safe. We hope you're staying healthy. And most importantly, perhaps, we hope you are staying sane. And finally, we hope you are wearing a mask. So keep your eye on your mask, everybody. Don't take it off. Wear it. We're all in this together. Let's work together. Make this happen. Get through this moment and come back better on the other side. See you next week, everybody. Bye.